Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Peart. I am once again joined by my glamorous assistant and co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR? Hello, everyone. Wow, this is really exciting to be in person. We are here live in Ipswich and face to face, which is very strange because normally we do it remotely. So uh, we've got uh, our exciting weekend away for our fellow writers uh, at Social Work News. So there's me and Vince and and our editor, Nick, and Millie Glass as well. She's down here. I didn't say her real name. Don't worry. She's not on camera. She's not on camera. She's off camera. She, she's, she's hiding. Uh, hi- hiding in the background. <laughs> 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 but yeah, we're here. This is, um, yeah, we're a, we're a bit hungover. Well, I'm a bit hungover today. I don't know about you. are not me. hungover. No, no. It was a bit of a wild night last night. But um, as, as, as what, I think we better clarify that for the listeners. It's about as wild as things could possibly get for a group of social workers and an editor hanging out together. I mean, yeah, Disney karaoke happened. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah, yeah, and yeah, a bit yeah. of Eminem karaoke. That was pretty much as wild yeah. as it go. We're not talking about the last days of Rome here, are we? Absolutely not. No, we're not talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Let's be blunt. Just want our listeners to be very clear. <laughs> yes, yes, we behaved. We didn't. Um, we didn't destroy Ipswich or our reputations. No, we are no, still no, registered no, no, no. social workers after that night. So I had half a small glass of red wine, actually. So it was a wild one for me. And yeah. I cooked everyone breakfast this morning. You did. You've been very gentlemanly this weekend. Uh, so <laughs> I would ask how things have been since we last caught up. But we're obviously, we're here. Um, yeah. So on this week's show, we um, we wanted to talk about wounded healers. Um, it's a topic that we... we, we sort of discuss around the fringes of on, on, on several shows that we do. And we, we've written about it for the magazine before, and you and I have discussed it in our personal lives many times over the years. The concept that social workers can be wounded healers and the concept that potentially a lot of social workers are wounded healers, because we quite often talk about, rightly, experts by experience when it comes to the clients we support, when it comes to the people we work with. And a lot of the time that is really prominent when it comes to people who might be social work trainers. If you think of people like uh, Jenny Malloy, Hackney Child, obviously she does a lot of work. I think she was last working with the Southampton Local Authority. She does a lot of work for local authorities when she trains people. You have other people, a lot of care leavers who go on to do that, been experts by experience, and they do a brilliant job. Obviously, it's you know, superb to be able to learn from people who have lived through those things and how social workers can do it better. What is spoken about less is social workers ourselves as experts by experience. And, you know, we, we joked about social working just before in the introduction there, but let's be serious here. The reason why perhaps it isn't spoken about so much is there are things that a lot of social workers have perhaps gone through in the past that they would be a bit worried to share now, maybe things they've done or things that have been done to them or things they've experienced and so on that could potentially be problematic and could risk if viewed through a certain lens of bringing themselves in the profession of disrepute, which is, of course, entirely unfair, but you can see why that fear is there. So I wanted to discuss that on today's show, listeners. Um, for anybody unfamiliar with the term expert, uh, wounded healer, should I say, most of you will be familiar with the term expert by experience. So wounded healer was a term that was first coined by 
Carl Jung. Most of you will be familiar with Carl Jung. You know, he's one of the, the, the founding fathers or the founding father of analytical psychology. And I'm kind of probably taking us back to first year university. You would have done a bit about the. Do you remember that doing first modules about the founding basis of psychology? Yeah, and A levels as well. Oh, there remember. we go. Psychology A level. <laughs> We've got an expert in psychology Absolutely, here today. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a qualification right there, isn't it? Um, so there's a quote that I'm just going to read out from Carl Jung when he first coined the term wounded healer. And he said, A good half of every treatment that probes at all deeply consists in the doctor's examining himself. It is his own hurt that gives a measure of his power to heal. Now, obviously, the masculine pronouns there are a sign of the times when you know, Jung was writing and developing his work in the 50s and 60s, and of course, referring to it as just the doctor. You know, we're talking about a time when social work didn't exist as a profession. But because social work is predicated on the foundings of psychology and therapy, and of course, Jung was one of the founding fathers of that, it, it still is prevalent throughout the profession today. So if we, you know, forgive Jung for that outdated way that he's written that, essentially what he's getting at is that half of most treatments involve the the person offering support examining themselves and it's their own hurt that gives a measure of their power to heal how would you feel about that does a person's own hurt help them heal others it depends how it's done um i think it's really important that we're empathetic to the people that we're supporting and to be able to put yourself into the shoes of others you don't have to have necessarily experienced the same as what they're going through but you need to have some level of of overcoming some sort of hardship in your life so that you can recognize the struggles that that person's facing and then you can help them on their journey but then i think there's something about too much of self-disclosure as well and actually that can be really toxic sometimes and you've got to be careful with how much of yourself you give over not only to damage the relationship between yourself and the person that you're supporting but also the impact that it has on yourself because if you're trawling through old wounds then Mm. you don't want to be giving too much of yourself to your job and potentially risking burnout stress all of those sorts of things so I think you've got to be quite careful about how much of your yourself you give over. What, to... like admitting that you've been hungover on a on social work radio, uh, <laughs> <laughs> like that? Just, yeah, maybe. Oh dear, <laughs> I'm sure our listeners oh, no, empathise no. with me here. Oh, no, on, on a serious note, um, let's be blunt here. There are some social workers who like to talk about their own issues a lot and not just with other social workers but potentially do that with other professionals and also on some occasions potentially do that with the people we support would that be fair to say yeah I think there's always going to be some workers that overshare (laughs) we know some of them too well (laughs) Vince behave um but no I You've, you've got to be careful that you don't give too much of yourself. Yeah. Um, there's got to be some sort of boundaries there. You've got to deal with your own trauma in in your own safe space yeah. and, your, and sharing that with colleagues and with other professionals or the people that we're supporting is not necessarily a safe space. You need to, to be surrounding yourself with your friends, your family and 
professionals that are involved to support you. So, yeah, don't don't go giving too much of yourself to that. To, uh, yeah, definitely. It, 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 it's a fine line between drawing on it but not letting not letting it affect you too much. Yeah. When I was doing my research for today's show, and I, I do I do research for the show, you might think that this is just this is just comes easy to me that oh I just have all this knowledge, but I do a lot of research. And I was doing the research for today's show, um, I came across a statistic which said that around 75% of all people involved in the caring professions, at a professional basis, so we're not talking about like um, carers, we're talking about like therapists, psychologists, counsellors, social workers, um, that up to 75% of people that are drawn to these professions on a degree level basis have experienced a degree of hardship and trauma in their pasts. Do you think that's right? Would you say three quarters of everybody you've worked with in social work has? And they could be very minor. If you look at ACEs, you're aware of ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Some of them, most people I know would hit one or two ACEs. I think it's fair to say. You know, I'm not going to reveal my ACEs score, but it's more than one or two. <laughs> um, do you think three quarters of social workers have had some form of hardship or trauma in their past i think it could almost be higher than that actually um three quarters every three and four i, th- I think it might be higher you think so 90 <laughs> percent <laughs> how hard are we gonna yeah. go it's like price is right here yeah, yeah higher lower higher. um <laughs> i'm no, gonna give I, you 75 percent. are you gonna say higher or lower I think around 85, 90 percent. And when I read that 75% figure, I didn't dispute it. A lot of research because you, 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 get, you get cynical as a social worker when you look at research. You don't always... You, well, you, you taught, again, come back to university days. You know, when, when you did your research um, module, research methods module, it was called for me when I did my... You know, when I was doing that like 12 years ago... Um, probably changed a fair bit now but when I was doing it's it called research methods and the whole point of that module was to essentially instill the thinking that you have to question everything who funded the research when was it done how big was it a snowball sample was it a random that's oh, all coming back to me it's all coming it's like that's a that's a Celine Dion song isn't it it's all coming back to me now can yeah. we get some uh, uh, our editor? Can we maybe get some music over that bit? You know, can we get a bit of Celine Celine Dion written by Jim Jim Steinman who uh, wrote all Meatloaf songs? I didn't know. Can we that, start talking but... about classic rock? No, we, we've I had... think we no, need to stick okay, stick well, to the social work. It's, it's all coming back. It's all coming back to me now. Now those research methods modules they teach you to basically question it. So when I saw that, I was initially thinking, well, do I question this? But then, yeah. So if I think of I think of all my friends in social work who I know well enough to have had the conversations with about the past and kind of get a flavour. There's not one person I know that didn't have... <laughs> it didn't have a wild past, is the way I'm going to describe it. <laughs> Would that be fair to say? Yeah. I'm not including... I, I may or may not be including you yeah, on that list. No comment about that, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, the majority of social workers I know... Yeah. That, that have have built enough of a trusting relationship to be able to disclose yeah. that. Um, I, I mean, hardship's relative, isn't it? Yeah. And, and we all go through different traumas. I think it's impossible as a human being to go through life without trauma. If, yeah. Or if you are, you're incredibly lucky. But there's, there's different levels. Um, but I, I think it's impossible 
not to because yeah. this profession draws you in it, it, it's a we're still a very small and a very new profession yeah. um we've only really developed our current ways of working since maybe the 80s yeah i suppose yeah. if you look at the legislation i mean i was just discussing this with someone yesterday the legislation that you know my entire profession's based on is you know the children act 1989 in terms of my mm. field so before that it wasn't regulated and sound like it is now and in adults i mean how far back can you go in terms of an adult social work framework that you're still using well adults is is very new i mean we're using the care <laughs> yeah. act we didn't even have statutory safeguarding until 2014 wow. enacted in 2015 i did my training in the old method when it was just done by policy rather yeah. than than legislation and then things like the mental capacity act so 2005 came in in 2007 the mental health legislation goes back to 1983 so from the 80s you're looking about the 80s aren't you yeah. are exactly yeah. um so i've completely forgotten where we were going with this before we got sidetracked with the dates of legislation just, you've just basically just been ripping dates off to you. I, we've been testing our knowledge oh, on legislation <laughs> so tilly yeah tell me about you know the five aspects of the mental capacity it's like a i'd quiz. be a little bit worried if i didn't know the, the five principles <laughs> considering i work in a mental capacity at team and do training <laughs> on this every week um yes I, I i do know the five principles the point but, we're making is how um the profession is 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 relatively new and relatively young and in terms of you know the way we're going on and how it's being developed um yeah and, and we wouldn't because it is st still such a, a young profession yeah. i don't think people would necessarily know about social work unless yeah. they had some sort of draw to that sphere i've got yeah, um, some sort of link to it. yeah because i mean everyone knows about doctors because mm -hmm. doctors is universal everyone knows about lawyers and teachers it's that is in the frame of reference yeah, yeah. of everyone. But social work isn't. I mean, you ask the average person on the street, what does a social worker do? They, they, <laughs> yeah, apart steal from kids. still children, yeah. the child catcher. Um, I mean, yeah. you ask a lot of social workers, what do you do? I, I barely can define what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's such a, I think we are quite niche. And I think that is probably why there are so many people that have experienced trauma and difficulties and hardship in their life are drawn to this sort of profession. So, um, as I like to do with the podcasts, I like to um, write about them a lot and as I'm doing my research for them. So I've, I've wrote a, a column and it's, it's, it's going to be going up. For you guys listening to this, it will have been up. You'll have seen it Sunday, but as we're recording this Saturday, it's going to be going up um, later today. And, and I... I propose that there are essentially two reasons people are drawn to social work. So tell me what you think of these. The first reason I believe that people are universally drawn to social work is a desire to make the world a better place. I'm going to put it to you. I'm going to accuse you, Tilly Baden, that you want to make the world a better place. Are you guilty as charged? <laughs> guilty. There we go. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why I came into social work. I'm going to change the world, make it better. Um, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this woman, this woman is wanting in her, she, she is wanting, she does not sit before you trying to deny her crimes of wanting to make the world a better place. 
She is brazen. She is brazen in her desire to improve the lot of the average man and woman. Burn at the stake. Uh, I'm going to put you on the dunking stool. Um, the second one, and this is uh, this is this is the one that you know maybe let's say is a bit of doubt. You know, the jury could be hung on this one. The second reason why I think that most people are drawn to social work, I think this is the second common goal, is they want to take negative past lived experience in their own lives and use it for good. I think that's also very fair. I, th- I, think I stand you accused. I stand you, Ms. Baden. Would you, would you prefer Miss or Ms.? What do you go by? Oh, that's a, that's a separate podcast in itself, isn't it? About feminism. Well, I'm and, asking you. I'm, asking, I'm just asking for I your mean, personal preference. I am, I'm, I'm a Miss in law, but I suppose Ms. I call everyone Ms. I, the it, reason I call everyone Ms. is... Uh, for the risk of offending someone. Yeah, yeah. When you're writing reports and things, it's best to just... Ms. There we go then. There we go. Ms. Baden, you you stand before a jury of your peers and you stand accused of wanting to take negative past experiences and use them as a driver for good in order to make other people's lives better and atone for your past indiscretions. How do you plead to that charge? It's normally the other way around, me being the magistrate. Uh, do you like I don't, it? Do you like I, it? I, I feel put on the spot. This oh, is what the people feel. This is good then. This is good. I know. <laughs> this is a bit of supervision, reflective supervision it, there, it, isn't it? It will make you a better magistrate for this it experience. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, guilty. Oh. <laughs> guilty or not guilty? Guilty. Once yeah. because you stand guilty. And, and do you know what your punishment is? Being a social worker. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to punish you. To 40 years of hard labour. 40? Yeah, oh. 40, 40 years in the local authority gulag. Oh dear, I think I'll be dying in the job. You've already served, you haven't you? But you've, already, not, I, you've had time on remand. You've I was going to say, are you accusing me no, of being like 60 no, years? No, but you've, so you've, you've already served eight years on remand, okay? So you've got... you got, get time got, off for good behaviour? Well, you do, you can retire early. What, what's, what's the earliest you can retire? I don't know. I think I, I honestly think I'll be dying in the job. Retirement oh, well, will be a thing well, of the past. Yeah. On, the on a sad note, a lot of people did die in the gulags through hard labour, just did. to bring it down the tone. Yeah, let's. let's so communism. Not, uh, people, people sort of call for communism, and I say, well, what about the gulags? People don't have an answer for that one. I think again, the podcast is taking a very different turn. Let's Tell me bring I'm wrong. It back. Tell me I'm uh, wrong. Uh, anyway, moving You've been on. Set, anyway, right, I've, I've been t- how? Why? Why are? You, what are you being cheeky with the judge for? Why are you being so cheeky? <laughs> you, I'll add another couple of years on there. Oh no! To be fair, though, women are regularly getting years added on the age they can retire. So I'm just doing what the government's doing anyway. That's not a good defence. I'm not. not that, <laughs> what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the machinations of the government would support me in that one. If you're comparing yourself to Rishi Sunak and and all of the people that I'm have come before myself, him, I'm just saying the weight of their authority would empower me in adding another couple of years of work onto your sentence. Well, anyway, can we roll reverse now? Oh, no, don't put me on. Don't, no, don't start trying I'm me. I'm putting you on trial. Oh, right, Which okay. one about you then? Right, on no, then. I'm sure that is, I'm, is that is that how you approach is that how you approach the people that's before the magistrates court? Which one about you then? Which one about you? Is then? that what you do? <laughs> All right. Not very good English, <laughs> is it? All right. There's somebody who's been stood before you accused of um, um, fornication. You have got a fornicator before the courts 
And uh, the this first, has taken a different turn. The first, <laughs> the first thing you say to them is, what about you then? No, let's get into role, okay? okay? You're the magistrate, which should be easy for you. And I'm the social worker, which should be yeah. easy for me. So you stand before me today, accused of two crimes. <laughs> and you've got the laptop where you're reading them in front of <laughs> I haven't got anything the first, the, I, right. So the first one. I'm swearing myself in. The first yeah. thing I'm here before you, you worship? Is that magistrate? Your worship, yeah. I remember, I remember this stuff. I've, I've had my legal training. The first thing I'm before you today, your worships, is that, you know, I, 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 I am being tried of a desire to make the world a better place. That's the first crime. How do you plead? Uh, guilty, guilty as charged. I, I, I believe in utopia, and I think I think we should all work together to have an easier life. All right. So my second, charge, second charge is taking negative past lived experiences and trying to use them for good. How do you plead? I plead guilty to that one as well. What is my sentence, your worships? Well, I feel like I should I should add on more time just for. Being belligerent that you are, so I'm going to give you 50 years. Of, oh my god, 50 years! 50 years! I'm you 40 gave, this year. That means I'll be 90 by the time. Yeah, but I'm you retiring. gave me 40 years, so I'm giving yeah, you 50. You're younger. You can't. You can't force me to work. How many? How many 90 year old social workers do you know? I mean. That's what the world will be coming to soon when they take away. I'll retirement. need it. Oh well. Okay. You'll be going out there on your Zimmer frame and and mm. assessing people and assessing people for the same oh, needs well. as you are. Well, sad I should have, I, you know what, I should have taken my chances and said not guilty. Um, then there'd be, be a trial. <laughs> there, would be, there would be a trial. And I'd get more time, wouldn't I? Yeah, you would, because you wouldn't get time off for your oh, early guilty plea. Oh, no, oh, no. What have I got myself in for? It, it was more fun when I was, uh, can I be the magistrate again? Because I, I, I preferred giving out the sentences to getting the sentence. I think most people do. Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Who wants to be sentenced? Yeah, I don't no. want to be. So okay, you take fine. that, take that back, take that back. Um, or to the Duncan stool thou shalt go. Um, to a certain extent, I believe there's a wounded healer in all of us, uh, and the reason I say this is, like you said earlier, um, everybody's had something bad happen to them. You know, unless you're very, very, very lucky and had a very protective life and a lucky life or perhaps a very affluent life but that's not to say that you know having a well-off life hard, saves you from hardship I mean god forbid some of the worst cases that I've worked with in social work have involved um, affluent families I think we can all take that uh, what I would want to explore a bit more and I'll ask you this is we opened up by discussing how we can potentially overshare it can be too much and then you and I have said, well, you know, we believe there's more than 75% of people and, and, you know, we feel that we're, we're in that category of wounded healer. I've never been accused of oversharing. I uh, can't imagine you have either because, you know, we're still here. How, how do you get that balance right? How do you get the balance right with using what you've gone through in the past to fuel your own healing, as Jung would teach us, but not to the point where it can become inappropriate, problematic, and create significant issues in your profession. What a difficult question to answer. I mean, you just asked me to, how do you maintain your boundaries? And that's a I have. How do you, in, how do you how maintain do you? your boundaries? Well, 
I think once something is said, it, it can't be unsaid, so it's best not to say. Like Hagrid, you know that meme? Yeah. Shouldn't have said that. Shouldn't have said I should that. Not have said not that. Have <laughs> <laughs> how, how many Hagrid? Let, let, okay, let, let's let's refine this to a, a very small question. Okay. How many Hagrid moments do you have in social work? I mean, I've had many Hagrid moments, but not from oversharing. Just generally, like oh, what, no, like I'm pulling really... a pulling a kettle out your pocket. No, I haven't ever pulled a kettle out my pocket. Well, how good moments have you had then? That I should Getting have kicked out it. of Hogwarts for, you know, for having a spider and getting for framed d- by Tom Marvel or Riddle. <laughs> Which one? How far, how deep do we go? Oh, having a pink umbrella and, yeah. Um, no, um, the I shouldn't have said that. I mean, there's always times, is it? I think every single interaction you have with Every people, podcast we have, certainly. Uh, we every certainly podcast. Say, oh, I certainly go away and think, oh, there's a list of 15 things I shouldn't have said. But I think that's important about reflective practice, isn't it? You yeah. always think, oh, I could have said that differently or I shouldn't have said it in that way. That yeah. that question made someone freeze up or that didn't get the right response. Yeah. I think that's just part of, of, of being a reflective practitioner. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there are obviously times where you've said something that you really shouldn't have said. And I won't be discussing that on the podcast. No. But, but I think, but we all make mistakes. And I think that's, that's part and parcel of being a social worker. I think where, uh, most of the time I'm fine, because I, I simply don't, I, I, I'm very, very limited in what I'll share with the people I work with. Um, generally speaking, I don't give up any of my own information unless I'm asked a question. Unless it's something relatively benign that's used to kind of build a bridge. Because that's, again, you know, if you're coming back to Jung, it's like a Jung fest today. Um, coming back to Jung, he would teach you about, you know, interpersonal communication. You know, Carl Rogers in particular, you know, that, so Carl Rogers was influenced by Jung. And what Carl Rogers would say is, you know, person-centered practice is about building a bridge between two people. And you have to build that bridge somehow. And... We've discussed this on the podcast many times before, where if you are overly professional, if you come in suited and booted, overly professional, very formulaic, you might get your do- job done in a perfunctory level and a you know, performance-based level and a very bureaucratical level. But that's not really going to motivate people. It's not going to empower them. So in order to empower people, you have to get... I don't, I, I don't know any other way to do it than give up a little bit of myself, sort of humanise yourself. I understand the position you've been in. And to do that, I think sometimes you have to give up a little bit yourself. Now, usually that'll be if someone asks me, have you got kids yourself? Yeah, I've got a, you know, I've got two kids. You know, Sometimes I'll talk about going to the football. Sometimes I'll talk about boxing, gigs I've been to. Just things that you know you might have a shared, shared knowledge with. And you're like, well, look... I'm okay, I'm kind of, you know, I'm just like you, you're just like me, you know, let's try and work together. It's not me versus you, it's me and you versus the problem. In order to shift that mentality sometimes from, you know, local authority or state versus the individual, I believe you have to make yourself an individual. Yes, I'm not I'm not the state, I'm an individual who works for the state and you're not your problems, you're an individual with problems. So let's try and, you know, humanise me by you know sharing a little bit about myself sometimes i humanize myself by criticizing the government that i work for that sometimes tends to help don't we all oh well i wish i didn't have to do this paperwork but we've got to do it so let's work together and you help to humanize the person you support and by explaining to them look i know you've done these things but you know good people do bad things i understand that let's move on what life do you want and then you can forward plan 
that's when I'll tend to, to sort of share. Not very rarely will I share things that have happened in my past. The only time where I'll tend to do that is not with the parents that I'm working with, but with the children. And when I tend to do that is at crisis periods for children, when they're separated from families' homes, when they're separated from parents, when the mum and dad are in conflict with each other, when they're going through the family courts. And the reason I will share it at that point, and I'll share it very, very limited basis, and I'll document when I do as well, because I'm not sharing anything inappropriate, but I'll explain that, you know, I went through hardship, my parents separated, my parents went for the family court, it was very difficult. And the reason I explain that is, I've got to be honest, it really does work. It, it, it were Every single time that I've done that with a young person, it's helped them open up, it's helped them feel better, it's helped move forward, it's helped get the voice for direct work and it's all always I wouldn't even say almost always every single time when I've been able to share look this was my experience this is what I went to why would it not work because if I like why would that not work and you know for me when we come to being a wounded healer and how does that fuel you and what can you share that's when I've done it most of the time like I say I don't share anything unless I'm asked if it's like just to humanize myself usually but when it comes to young people I'm a I've got, I'm more willing to take a risk, if that makes sense, because I think if I was ever called out about it, and sometimes people might call me out about it, you know, sometimes people might say, well, you shouldn't have shared that, and I'll have a Hagrid moment, I'll go, do you know what, I probably shouldn't have, but the reason I did it, I can justify why I did it. If you've gone by paper, yeah, you maybe shouldn't have shared the fact that, you know, your parents went through very, very difficult separation, you were in family courts, maybe you shouldn't have, even though it was, what, 35 years ago, but it justifies for me it always justifies it because I can point well look what it did to help the young person feel better it helped move things on they're certainly not happy go and ask them about it. what do they think about all oh, the fact that the social worker said he's been this through through he's been through this as well what's the worst that's going to happen so I don't mind doing things if I can point to the results um I would never do things for my own good and I think and this is coming back to what I said earlier Got to be honest, I think sometimes people do offload for their own good because it makes them feel better. Me, open enough about that, believe me, it doesn't doesn't make me feel good now. It's never made me feel better. Even talking about it now isn't easy for me. Never makes me feel better, but I share that because it's for the good of the person I'm supporting. Would it be fair to say that some people overshare with colleagues, other professionals, and potentially even clients we support? because they feel better about it and it helps them to ease the burden. Yeah, I think you've you've hit the nail on the head right there. Um, you've got to be doing it for the right reasons. Like for me, sometimes um, bits of me that I'll share it with, with people, certainly if I'm working with someone that's got dementia and um, maybe a carer in crisis or something. Mm. And, and I've said, look, I've had family members with dementia. It, it's a difficult time for, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for anyone. Um, and just try and make it a little bit more human and, and, and support that person in that moment. But again, it's for the right reasons. Yeah. It's for them. It's nothing to do with, with me. It's not me off- offloading any problems. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's where people get into difficulties if they haven't perhaps dealt with some of that that's happened Bingo. before. Yeah. Um, you can't practice when your own house is in disarray. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that, that people struggle with if they they haven't processed whatever's happened to them in their past 
and they're coming into social work and there's always going to be triggers because we're working with people yeah. from all walks of life yeah. and and if you've got trauma there chances are it's going to get triggered at some point and if you're not in a emotionally stable position yourself where you've dealt with some of that that's when people I think get overly stressed yeah. burnt out and, and end up in difficulty and I think that can also make it hard for social workers that are going through current problems mm. you know I, I I think to be effective at social work you have to give so much of yourself and you have to work at such a, a breakneck speed that you don't have capacity for additional drama and and I think Working too hard can significantly affect your personal life. We all know that. We talk about that all the time. But I think what perhaps is less spoken about, and I know the reason we don't speak about it as much, because it's really, really difficult. It's difficult to say, well, if you bring in your personal problems into work, it affects you as a worker, because you don't want to make people feel bad if people no. are going through a difficult breakup or they've got family problems, they've got additional care and responsibilities, there's problem with the children, they've got health issues, and they're trying to balance work. We don't talk about it that much because it's really unfair. It's really unfair, but just because it's unfair doesn't mean it's true. And that's not to criticise the people who are going through personal problems. The criticism here is the job that gives, that it demands that much of you that you can't, you know, you can't have any slack. You know, most jobs you can take off quiet days. Maybe it's got a bit easier in social work of homework and to manage your diary, but... Generally speaking, you can't have a lazy day. You can't have a lazy day in social work and think, well, it's okay, I'll catch up with it in a couple of weeks' time. You know, if you were if you were working on like a big project for a company, like a big report, you're working in marketing or something like that, you could think, do you know what? I could probably have a couple of quiet weeks because I've got stuff going on in my personal life. And if I get to crunch time, I can do it all later. But when you've got meetings, reviews, reports that are always in, deadlines that can't be moved, court hearings, training, team meetings, and social work, your diaries are that packed and you've got responsibilities for statutory visits and so on. You can't just push everything two months down the line, can you? It's no, impossible. No, you can't. And you can't compartmentalise either. No, yeah, if, you're, if you're working in a job, I don't know, at supermarket or something, yeah. and you're, you're, you're de dealing with a task that's in front of you, yeah. that's not going to trigger be triggered by trauma stacking whereas, beans, stacking beans in, in the supermarket yeah, yeah. whereas if you're yeah. I don't know you're going through a, a breakup and then the person that you're supporting is then going through a breakup no, it's, yeah, it's staring yeah, at you yeah. in the face yeah. there's, there's no let up is there so no. that's what makes it so difficult and that's why I like a boring personal life I like a boring I like a boring and safe my manager is the same my manager she always you know she could be at personal supervision every two months and she's like how's things going Vince it's just boring nothing to report about still the same white middle class suburban married life and she says that's what I like to hear excellent <laughs> let me finish in about five minutes I'm on a bit about the workplace usually about procedures that I don't agree with and there we'll go see you in two months it's exactly how I like it. Yeah, there is a lot to say, to say for being boring, isn't there? There is. I, do you know what? This is what I'm learning. I used to seek a, a thrill-filled, exciting life, whereas now I like to be idle and boring. I think that's... As I enter my 40th year. Oh, going through it. We're, we're going to experience your midlife crisis. We talked about well, this. I'm going to get into golf. Not. I'm going to get into golf. Nothing bad. Golf. There's a golf course right near where we're staying, apparently. There is, actually. I'm not going to take it up today because um, 
I would, uh, I'd embarrass myself. <laughs> Talking about embarrassing ourselves, I think we've done okay, given that we I haven't shared we any have. of our own. We've managed all this, and the only trauma we've shared is my parents' breakup when I was five. Mm. I think we've done we've well. We've done okay, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. Let's, on that note, let's before leave. Let's we get ruin out. it. <laughs> let's pull out. Let's pull out before anything bad happens. Okay. <laughs> um, listeners and viewers this week. Listeners and viewers. Audience. The audience. Thank you ever so much. As always, for your interest, your subscriptions, your likes, your comments and reviews. We do this for you guys and um, you guys give us the inspiration for this. So thank you ever so much. We'll be back next week with me and Tilly. Um, Until then, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.